When I came out of the charismatic movement, I realized that all this talk of spiritual warfare is a distraction. This talk of spiritual warfare to me seemed like a huge distraction because we would spend hours and hours and hours in prayer binding Satan, stepping on his head, doing all this stuff. And I come to realize, like, we're not doing any of that, first off. I mean, we're we're not in that position where we could do that. Scripture doesn't give us that authority. God has that authority. And I realized, like, what a waste. I mean, if you want to say who this is a benefit to Satan, that you we would spend hours and hours of wasted time because that's really yeah, what it he, is. He, he, it's to his advantage to keep us misguided as to what real spiritual warfare is because then we're not waging it yeah welcome to the rap report with andrew rapaport where we provide biblical interpretations and applications this is a ministry of striving for eternity for more content or to request a speaker or seminar for your church Go to strivingforeternity.org. Okay, today we are going to be having an interview with a special guest, a friend of mine, Pastor Jim Osman, and he's written a couple books, and we're going to be discussing those books. We're going to be having a little bit of fun. You're going to see that Jim and I get along very well. We both like to joke around. We like to be serious about serious topics. And I think this will be a very entertaining and yet very informative podcast for you. You're going to want to make sure you listen to the whole thing and enjoy. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity. And they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. Okay, we are back with a guest, and this is someone I've gotten to know recently, and his name is Jim Osmond. He is a pastor up in Idaho. That is the land of the free, where they are free to carry guns. He keeps trying to get me to move there, and <laughs> because he says I could have freedom there. I live in New Jersey. They they don't allow me to look at pictures of guns. That's that could probably be get me in jail here. But Pastor Jim, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the program. So you've written three books that you sent me. You sent me all three of them, and I've, I've diligently read every one of them. The, the Since co- our last conversation two hours ago when you told me you hadn't read any of them? Yeah, well, I read the, I read the covers. I read the covers. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I have, I, I had this, before that we started, I had to take them off the uh, shelf on the nonfiction section right next to Left Behind, where I leave all my <laughs> trashy novels. Um, no, <laughs> none of these are novels. <laughs> well, you got one on the Stairway to Heaven. That's a song, isn't yeah, it? That's not a novel. No, that's an assessment of uh, three other novels, three <laughs> other fictional works. <laughs> so, so let's let's start. With, with, let's start with the the first one. Actually, which one is the first one you wrote? Uh, which one do you want to start with? Well, I was going to start with the selling the stairway to heaven, which you say is. Oh, a that was the second one. That's the second Try one. Try again. 
Yeah, try again. No, I'm, I'm sticking with that one. Now let's start with that one. <laughs> okay. All right. For folks who don't know, Pastor Jim. So, so actually, let's let's talk. The 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 first time that we well, the first my first reaction with you or interaction with you, I should say, uh, was giving you a call, and um, I th- I think Justin <laughs> Peters wanted me to call you, and I. I went to, I got your voicemail and I went to leave you a message and I was laughing so hard at your voicemail that, that I could not even leave a message almost. And I, and I just knew from the voicemail, you and I were going to hit it off. <laughs> you, you should probably record it and paste it into this episode someplace. I, I think that I'm going to have to, <laughs> but that was one of the funniest things. So I left you a message. You called me back and we, we ended up meeting for the first time at Shepherd's Conference. Yeah, this year. This year. And, uh, and I, th- I think we immediately hit it off um, and had a, a great time. Um, yeah. And, you know, really just, you know, I think this is one of the things that I think Christ does with, with his children is there's a kindred spirit where you can meet someone for the first time and just love being around one another. Yeah. And, and Yeah, there's a brother, brotherhood that exists there that's beautiful. Yeah, it not as beautiful as New Jersey, I'm sure. But <clears throat> now, for folks to understand okay. that he he wants me to move to Idaho. He says it's it's a beautiful place. I I think of it as a place of of winter and snow. It's it's north. It's it's got to be. So <laughs> well, it's only it's not all winter and snow. We only have really nine months of winter and three months of bad sledding. <laughs> It's beautiful up here. This is you're familiar with Boise because you have a friend down in uh, Boise, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean the thing yeah, you're familiar with Boise. Boise is the armpit of the state of Idaho. <laughs> we don't even consider that Idaho down there. And like I said to you in an email, if I owned Boise and Hell, I would rent out Boise and live in Hell. I wouldn't. I wouldn't move down there either. But you've never been up here. You will be someday, but you, you haven't been up here yet. This is beautiful. Yeah, well, I am coming up your way. So, so you know. I've been to, I've been to Idaho. One of the things I do love about Idaho, no joke. Um, I I shared this with you. I get to Idaho, uh, into Boise, and my my buddy Nathan picks me up. The first thing he does is shake my hand and welcome me to Idaho. Second thing he does is hand me a Glock. Uh-huh. I love Idaho for that reason. That's a good reason to love Idaho. <laughs> yeah. So, um, selling the stairway to heaven. Let's talk about okay. it. Um, so there's been a number of people. Um, in the prosperity gospel and and their ilk that have made many claims that they have been to heaven. Uh, we have Don Piper in his 90 minutes of heaven. Um, we have, you know, the, the boy, uh, uh, well, actually a couple of boys, but Colton Burpo. You know, yeah, we, we have Bippo. We have the other one that I don't think is in your book. It, um, Malarkey. Alex Malarkey. Who, Alex who Malarkey, I heard, I think he's about. suing the publisher. Yeah, he, he repented and got genu- genuinely saved and uh, was recently baptized. In fact, our mutual friend Justin Peters has reached out to the Malarkey family and their pastor of that church and uh, has some contact with him. So uh, that's been a positive thing. And of course, he, he renounces the entire trip to heaven and says it never happened. And his dad was just a charlatan taking advantage of, of, of the kid and his story for financial gain. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could get into that story too, because I mean, I think <clears throat> I know Phil Johnson played a role in that. Justin Peters played a role in that. 
<clears throat> I think even Jordan Hall in, in exposing that and the mother reached out. I, <clears throat> I remember when we were in Ohio, uh, Phil Johnson, he was, he was trying to get to together with, uh, I think it's Barbara Malarkey is, is the mother. Yeah. And I'm going from memory, but yeah, they, they had con- reached out and contacted and said this story was fake and, and they couldn't get anyone to, to listen to them. Uh, because they were making too much money off of that book. Mm-hmm. This is a money maker. <laughs> Why it, you- it is, and it has been a huge money maker for both Don Piper and and the Burpo family as well. You, you know, I read Don Piper's uh, was ninety minutes in heaven. I was pastoring at the time. Someone in the church had gotten a hold of the book. I guess I think it was a New York Times bestseller. Asked me what I thought about it. You know, I I read that book. I didn't. The the thing I walked away with that book was I've said that if someone goes to heaven, they are going to be concerned with the gospel. They are yeah. going to they're going to come back, and the gospel is going to be the most important thing. He he talked about the his trip to heaven in just I think the first chapter. the The rest of the book was his life after, and yeah, it was his recovery, his recovery from the accident, from the accident. And really, I here was the thing I walked away with. He didn't seem to have a concern for people with where they spend eternity as much as he was with people that were in that machine, that contraption that he had to deal with to learn to walk again and the pain of it and reaching out to people like that. And it wasn't so much reaching out to them with the gospel, but reaching out with them to to know they can they can get through it like he yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Don Piper's uh, that that's the, the book is really not about heaven at all. It's kind of a something of a misleading title because I think it's only, I don't know, 15 or 20 pages that really deal with his supposed trip to heaven. And the rest of the book deals with suffering and, and how he came back to tell his story and how people have been encouraged by his story and why he tells his story and where he tells his story and all the experiences about his story and a story about his story. That's, that's what the whole book is about really. And I said in the, I said in my review of the book, which is in that, in that book, selling the stairway to heaven. Uh, I made the statement that had, had Don Piper come back and written a book about uh, persevering through suffering or what he learned about God in his suffering or the purpose, the purpose of sanctification or the goal of sanctification and suffering or trying to be an encouragement to people who have faced similar physical difficulties as he had, he wouldn't have sold probably not even one tenth as many copies, but the book would have been immensely more profitable. Okay. He just left out all of the reports about heaven. So you just, is, is self-contradictory nonsense. Sorry. You go just ahead. nailed the issue, didn't you? I mean, it's it's about the fact that we live in a culture with with social media and all this where people do clickbait say yeah. things just to get people to to click or to read the book or something like that but but after he wrote that book his life changed in the speaking circuit and all of that and i but people who follow him or have looked at his life and all it it's clearly he's shown that he has changed the theology over time as he's been mm-hmm. fellowshipping more with people in the word of faith movement and things like that. Yeah. He started out solidly in the evangelical camp as a Baptist pastor. And but once you begin to jettison scripture as the sole and only source of, a, of information about God and the Christian life and heaven and the afterlife, and you begin to turn to experience, which is essentially what his book is, then of course you're you're set adrift on a sea of uncertainty and and uh, muddled theology that can just bend and shape whichever way you want it to go. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that he has found 
uh, a kin, a kindred spirit amongst people in the Word of Faith movement because there's many like Jesse Duplantis and others who have made claims about visiting heaven quite frequently and having Jesus come and visiting them and, and being transported to heaven just like Paul was and having conversations with Jesus, etc. So that's very common in Word of Faith circles, but it's not as common that that type of a claim is not as common among evangelical pastors and. And in evangelicalism, or what we would call more conservative or orthodox Christianity, apart from word of faith movement type theology, uh, Don Piper has gone a long ways to making such claims more commonplace. And yeah. of course, the Burpos followed it up with "Heaven is for Real," and uh, and and I critique both of those books in uh, in that book that you're talking about. You know, you mentioned Jesse Duplantis. I I remember Matt Slick from Karm.org, Justin Peters, our mutual friend from Justin Peters. Dot org. That's a very original name. Um, and I, but, but Justin <laughs> Peters and Matt Slick and I were, were at a conference speaking together. Justin was going to be speaking at, um, that, on that Sunday morning, Matt was speaking at, at my church and Justin was speaking at another church and he was going to be speaking that evening. And Matt and I went over to listen to Justin speak. And it was really funny because Justin told an, an account from, um, Jesse Duplantis and, Matt's sitting there listening to it, and Matt turned to me and goes, he just shocked me. He goes, I thought I've heard everything, but Justin Peters just shocked me. I don't get shocked easy. <laughs> and he was telling the account of, of, you know, where Jesse Duplantis went to his office one day, and all of a sudden, he, and I don't remember the account, all the, event, the details of it, and if you get clouds without water too, you, it's, it's probably in there. But he was telling about the, this account where Jesse Duplantis uh, got to his office. He was all ready to go to work. And, and all of a sudden, God was needing his help. And so he took like a cable car or something up to, to heaven. And he's sitting in heaven, and, and God was just depressed. And he just needed Jesse Duplantis there by his side. And he was just, oh, it was a hard day. And, and Jesse just decided he would just sit there and pray and, and be with God and, and, you know, stay there all day. And, and God said, just stay with me for the day. And, and around lunchtime, he said, well, Jesse, you know what? You, you can go home. I feel a lot better now. And he took his cable car home. And Matt and I were just like pulling our hair out. Like, and people believe this. Yeah. And, and evangelical Christians or, or conservative guys like that are, would be more lean towards our camp. They would instantly reject that, and yet some of these same people that would think that Jesse Duplantis is a clown will believe Don Piper, and they'll believe Colton Burpo, and they'll buy the books, and they will uh, pass, they'll circulate them around, they will share them with their friends, and uh, embrace those stories as, well, here's the proof of heaven, and, and because Don Piper's a Baptist, and yet they, they're making essentially the exact same mistake. Okay, and one so of the points I make in my book is, on what basis do you reject one account and embrace the other? So tell me, what is the danger? in in this what is the danger in these accounts we we could sit there and look at the word of faith folks and say well their theology is is really off the rockers anyway but when we have people like don piper what's the danger of these accounts what we we can't tell i mean you and i can't exegete their experience and that's what this is. It's right. an experience. We can compare it to scripture. Like I said, someone that goes to heaven is going to come back and they're not, they're going to be different. They're going to have a, a, a focus on the gospel. It, with this being the case, what is the danger with a, with a Don Piper writing a book like this? I think one of the pr pr primary dangers is 
the way in which an embrace of such stories can end up drawing people away from the sufficiency of Scripture. And what I mean by that is, is in Piper's book, he says that one of the reasons that he's convinced that God allowed him to go to heaven was so that he could come back and tell others that heaven is for real, to borrow the title of another book. Um, that's the reason that, that God allowed him to have that experience, so he could come back and, and tell other people about heaven so that they their faith could be straight, uh, strengthened. And he has numerous anecdotal stories about how he will uh, speak in a church on uh, on his story and share his testimony. And then afterwards, people will come up and say to him, you know, I've been a Christian since I was a, a young child, and I've always doubted whether or not heaven is for real, but now you've experienced this and come back and told me about it. And now my faith, strength, uh, faith is strengthened, and I'm so encouraged by this. And uh, and he'll say, see how, see how good this is that this person has been encouraged by that. Well, I, I read that account, and I say, was scripture not enough? You've had the word of God, you had the testimony of Jesus and the apostles right there in front of you in written form, but that wasn't enough to strengthen your faith. That wasn't the testimony of Jesus Christ was not enough to convince you that heaven is real. The testimony of Don Piper was necessary. And that's the subtle allure of such stories that they that they purport to serve to strengthen our faith and in and in fact all they do is base our faith not upon scripture but upon the experience of somebody who says that they went to heaven and came back. That I think is the most subtle and most insidious danger of all in the accounts themselves. There's a secondary one, Andrew, and I'd, I'd add this one. A secondary danger, I think, is that it, it seeks that they end up undermining um, really what scripture says about heaven itself, because there are contra- there are things in both Burpo's account and Don Piper's account that contradict what scripture reveals about heaven. Uh, Burpo says that the Holy Spirit appeared as a as a blue fog or a blue cloud, that Jesus has a multicolored horse. You know, there, there are claims that Piper makes about people and their age in heaven and things that they say in heaven. And if you read his book, he didn't spend 90 minutes in heaven. He says he spent 90 minutes outside the gates of heaven. So it wasn't even 90 minutes in heaven. He, he lingered around the outside of the gates and met with his well, uncle, Bob, or uncle Joe or whoever it was. Yeah, he, wasn't yeah, he never got him. into heaven. And he never saw Jesus or God the Father. No, never saw Jesus, never saw God the Father. Uh, he says he saw it later on in a in a, um, a, a speaking engagement in a, I think a Chinese church a few years after the book he says he saw God's throne exalted in the glory of it from a distance. But if you could spend 90 minutes outside the gates of heaven and you never see the face of Jesus, you, it's, you didn't spend 90 minutes in heaven and you didn't go to the real heaven because the the first thing you and I are going to see when we die is the face of Jesus. We will be instantly in the glory of God in our perfected and sanctified state. And we will see Christ and be with him. That's what Paul says, to, to depart and be with Christ is far better. So the very testimony of men like Burpo and Piper, uh, it ends up contradicting the clear testimony of Scripture. And then then you're left asking, well, if I if I believe that Piper and Burpo had these experiences, and I believe that these experiences are real, and then they contradict Scripture, who do I believe, Scripture or their experience? Yeah. But and this is the main issue, isn't it? That we have a Christianity that is following after experience and not scripture. Yeah. Most most Christians are so ignorant of what their Bible teaches about heaven that, that they would gladly glom onto that book. And I think you bring up a very important point. This it is ultimately attack on the sufficiency of scripture that we say we need some experience, we need to hear someone else's account to believe what the word of God says. It's not enough. Yeah, right. Scripture should be enough. And even if everything that every person on the face of the planet said contradicted Scripture, I would, I would still go with Scripture because Scripture is sufficient. 
even if the testimony of everybody else contradicted it. And yet you have millions of Christians, apparently, whose, whose faith is so wobbly and so flaky that uh, books like 90 Minutes in Heaven and Heaven is for Real end up uh, encouraging them in their faith, which is, is just so, so misguided. What is it for you? I know you, you've written a couple of books, right? You deal with the prosperity gospel. What is it for you that you see as such a danger and a threat in that movement? Uh, the prosperity gospel? Yeah. Yeah, well, the, my book, The Prosperity of the Wicked, now you're talking about my third book. The book on the prosperity of the wicked is actually a study of Psalm 73. Now, see, if you had read the book, you would know this. It's no, not no, about no, the I did, but I didn't ask about the book. See, you're, try, you're, trying, you're trying to turn it, but I'm staying on the topic. See, I understand what you're trying to do. See, I see that. Uh, see, the fact that, I, see right that is, it, that's a fallacy right there because we, we, could, we could play our game. Hold on. We, we have that. Time for name that fallacy. Okay, and I can name that fallacy. That is a fallacy what of was equivocation. The fallacy? A fallacy of equivocation. What? What, what Pastor Jim just did there for you folks is he took the word prosperity in the way that I used it and then turned it into the fact that he used that same word as a title of his other book and said, oh, that's what you're talking about. But in fact, I wasn't talking anything about that. That's called a fallacy of equivocation where you take one term and use it two different ways. So I was using it in the term of what we were talking about with the context back to prosperity gospel movement that is, we end up seeing the extreme of the heavenly experiences, but that's okay. He wanted to try to get a dig in and you all are eyewitnesses to that. And it gave us a chance to play name that fallacy real quick. So go ahead now and answer the question. (laughs) What was the question now that you've totally got us off track by equivocating on the word prosperity? Well, it begs the question, right? Yeah. It begs the question. (laughs) Yeah. You want to explain the difference with that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, so, what do you see as the, as the danger with the prosperity gospel? Why is it such a threat? Well, I, it's a threat because it's a different gospel. And it, it goes, it appeals to the weak, it appeals to the poor, it appeals to the financially downtrodden, where financial charlatans uh, use the gospel and the name of Christ for their own uh, fiscal gain. And so I think the danger of it, I know the danger of it, is just that it is a complete and utter perversion of the gospel that leads people uh, into greed and covetousness, uh, which is a form of idolatry, which is idolatry, and uh, it leads them away from the true Jesus and the true God and into eternal damnation. Somebody who believes the gospel, prosperity gospel cannot and will not be saved unless they repent and believe the true gospel. That, that's, I think, the essential, the essential uh, and the worst uh, error and danger of it. I think that our friend Justin Peters you know, says it kind of clear, right? It's a threat yeah. to the yeah, truth. Yeah, he's writing a book on it. I didn't. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, he should write a book on it finally. He's, he's, he is. <laughs> good, good. Keep him writing. <laughs> but but the thing is, he's, he talks about that's a real threat to the church because it, it masquerades as Christianity. Yeah. It, in some parts of the world, it's the only Christianity that, that they see in America. They don't see, they don't see the John MacArthur Shepherds Conference type of Christianity. They don't see the reform movement. They don't see the the centrality of the gospel in the, the small churches and the, the little guys plowing it out with little congregations faithfully serving the true gospel and witnessing. They, all they see is what's piped into their airwaves by TBN and, uh, and those Christian radio pro, uh, stations that networks like that run. That's, that's the only Christianity they see. 
And uh, I, I have to wonder, you know, as all of this growth that we're seeing in some of these foreign countries, is it really the true biblical Christianity or is it an embrace of the prosperity gospel? Yeah. And from what I hear, a lot of it's the embrace of the prosperity gospel. Well, it is. It is. I, I had a pastor who contacted me he, out in Ohio. He had, we have a, a class on the Striving Fraternity Academy on how to interpret the Bible. It's called the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. And in those 20 lessons, we teach people how to understand and interpret scripture. Very easy for anyone to understand. There was a pastor in Ohio who had someone knock on his door, you know, come in the office. And this gentleman introduced himself. He was a missionary from Africa to America. Now, that right there should maybe shock some people that Africans are sending missionaries to America. Okay. (laughs) But he's coming in with a prosperity gospel. And he, he wanted to get to know some of the local pastors because he was churching, planting a church in the area. And this pastor said, hey, let's, why don't we get together for lunch? And he realized this guy had a wrong theology. He wanted to get together and start discipling him. And he actually suggested, he called me because he said, what I would like to do is I want to know if I can get a copy of the syllabus for your class. And if I can have permission to use your syllabus and teach through it, even though it's not you teaching it through the web, but me teaching it, because he he had taken the class and got the syllabus and found it helpful. And I said, sure, you go for it. You know, I told him, we won't even charge you. I'll send you a free copy of the syllabus for this guy. And he he started working with this guy, teaching him through a syllabus. This guy had, within weeks, a much bigger church than the pastor who's been there for years. But and that's the thing, the prosperity gospel, it, it's appealing to the lost. And so here he is, and he's he's got this growing church plant, and he's meeting with this pastor every week for lunch, and they're going through a study, and it started to change his sermons. And the folks in the church that were the leadership that were sent from Africa with him started noticing a difference in the sermons and started to challenge him. And in that challenge... They ended up saying that, you know, th- this, is, this is not good for the movement, what you're teaching. And he actually told this pastor from Ohio, and the, the guy had called me back to give me the update. And because I asked him to give me an update, and, and the update he gave me was he said that this guy was basically given a choice from the missions board in Africa that he either had to give up this teaching that he was doing of reading the Bible and interpreting it, and exegeting it, he had to give that up, or he had, and or he had to return to Africa. And he chose to give up the right dividing of the Word of God to stay here in America and plant a church. And so they stopped meeting. Wow! Wow! Th- this is the only Christianity he knew. One of the things that he had told this pastor was <clears throat> that he didn't know. He, as they're sitting there and studying the the biblical interpretation, he said, "I didn't know there was any other way." He said, I never learned this. He said, I didn't understand that there was any other way to interpret Scripture or to, to study the Bible than the way we were told to use our experience. Wow, that's sad. That's probably very typical of, uh, of that prosperity gospel and, and, uh, and the spread of it in other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, and in Africa, it is growing. But I don't think it's leading people to heaven, unfortunately. It's, it's leading a lot of people to to giving up their wealth 
The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 29.11 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. Can you prove that God is a trinity? Can you prove that Jesus is God? Can you defend the Christian faith? And what is it that Christians truly believe? The new book by Andrew Rappaport, What Do We Believe?, will answer those questions and more. Some people just don't understand what the church is today, but this book will go through the history and meaning of the church and what's more important than to understand man's sinfulness and God's salvation. Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com or at the strivingforeternity.org store. You know, I, when I interviewed um, Justin Peters, we did a podcast on Catholic charismaticism, and uh, I'll have to mm-hmm. air that again. And so um, that was that was done on a different network, and we're going to have to we'll, we'll, we'll try to maybe put that out one day again on on this one. But you know, one yeah. of the things we, did, we talked about the video that we had linked, where there's a guy in Africa and preachers preaching this guy comes up and he's being what they call slain in the spirit he falls on the ground he's jumping all around and all this and all of a sudden his phone rings and it's amazing he's jumping all around and he reaches in pulls out the phone he's like he answers the phone he just stops shaking <clears throat> the guy preaching just stops <laughs> at him. he answers the phone what ma and he's yelling at his mother ma i'm at church ma uh yo i'm at church. i'll call you later and he hangs up puts his phone back in his pocket and then just immediately goes back to, to gyrating and the preacher goes right back to the preaching. It, it was all planned. It was like there, none of it was, was true emotion. No, it's all an act. Yeah. Okay. So you want to talk about your book, the prosperity of the wicked, obviously, since I was going to talk about well, truth or territory, but you, you clearly want to talk about this. So, so go ahead. Only, only because you brought it up. Only because you brought it up. So, <laughs> yeah, the third, the third book I wrote was uh, The Prosperity of the Wicked, A Study of Psalm 73. And so it deals with, uh, it's more of an exegetical, expository study of, the, of Psalm 73 that kind of deals with Asaph's struggle over the prosperity of the wicked, which I think is something that Job wrestled with and other Old Testament prophets. Um, why is it that the people of God, uh, if they have God's favor, why is it that they never seem to have the bulk of God's blessings? in this world? Why is it that the wicked always seem to, to get the blessings of God in this world? And uh, so Asaph struggles with that in Psalm 73. In the beginning, he says his, his feet almost slipped. He almost stumbled um, off into the abyss of apostasy because of this struggle. He saw the prosperity of the wicked. He saw the unrighteous and the ungodly with all this world's goods. They, they live in ease. They die in ease, he says. And um, this was a cause of great concern to him and angst. And then in the middle of the psalm, it kind of takes a turn. About halfway through the psalm, Asaph steps, says he steps into the sanctuary of God, and he says, then I perceived their end. And then he goes on to explain in that psalm how the prosperity that God gives the wicked is not a reward to them. It's not a blessing to them. It is actually a preparation for their judgment. And it's a whole different view of prosperity than we are taught to, taught to have in, in Western America and in our culture. It is a view of prosperity that says that God, is, God will sometimes raise up men in order that their fall may be even more severe and more of a judgment because of their wickedness. And we tend to look at, at the prosperity of Beyonce and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and all these people who have so much money and they use it for the most ungodly and wicked of causes. 
And then we think, why is it that they have that money and there are Christian ministries like mine and yours that might struggle from month to month? Why is that the case? And, and yet what Psalm 73 reveals is that that is the case because in those instances, God is using the prosperity not as a blessing, but as a judgment. And, um, and, and that's something we have to keep in mind, that, that God is giving Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, this money so that when he takes it away, when they suffer eternal loss, uh, that loss will be irreparable, it will be severe, and it will be a just punishment. Um, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, the higher they get lifted up, the further it is until they come crashing down. And um, that view of prosperity says that that prosperity God's given to the wicked is, in fact, a judgment upon them. And so that's what Psalm 73 deals with. And, and then at the end of the Psalm, Asaph says, I, I've come to understand that God is my good. He, he is the good to me. Uh, the, the, the prosperity is not good. The riches are not the good. It is my God who, and nearness to God, which is a good for me. So it's a whole different view of, of prosperity and why it exists and, and what God is doing with it in our world and, and why it is that sometimes the wicked get all of this money, all of this fame, fortune, etc. So you're saying it's a good thing that I'm actually in debt with college bills and <laughs> soon to be a wedding bill that's coming up. So you're saying that's a good thing for me, huh? Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. well, hey, you want to play the logical fallacy game again? Because we could, uh, we could name that fallacy. You just committed. <laughs> All right, so, so <laughs> let's get to the book that I wanted to get to. <laughs> Is this your book? No, that would be a good book. Um, actually, you know, the, the, the best part of this book that you got here is Truth or, or Territory. The best part of it is this part that says Forward by Justin Peters. That's the, the, the only part worth reading, I guess. No. Is that the only part you read? <laughs> <laughs> Although I do see... You're like three out of my four kids. You're like three out of my four kids who all they wrote, read was the, about the author page in all three of my books because their names were mentioned. <laughs> I didn't. I, I read it. I didn't see my name mentioned, so I, I was very disappointed. Oh. <laughs> I, I really want to know who did the doctoring of the picture on the back. That's really what I want to know. Someone did a lot of work to make that look good. <laughs> so, in, truth or territory? Uh, the issue of spiritual warfare is one we hear. We, we hear this a lot, actually, in charismatic circles, in the prosperity. I, I remember hearing a lot of about quote spiritual warfare when I was involved in the charismatic movement and people would literally have all night prayer meetings, stomping on the devil, binding him, tying him up. I always wonder who let him out, you know? So, yeah. So truth or territory basically um, details two views of spiritual warfare. One that we're probably very familiar with because it's um, very common in evangelical circles. It's a territory view, which, basically says that Satan and his demons have the ability to claim territory and to uh, people have uh, people are fighting a spiritual battle, which is uh, mostly a battle over over territory, you know, uh, praying hedges and generational curses and binding Satan and rebuking Satan and praying down territorial spirits. And that type of approach to spiritual warfare kind of it kind of approaches spiritual warfare as if as a spiritual warfare is our, our our desire or attempt to claim back territory um you know we have to claim cities for the gospel by praying circles around cities we have to claim houses by pleading the blood of jesus and binding satan and casting down demons and praying away territorial spirits and we have to claim churches by binding satan it's a, it's a territory view that satan has, has gobbled up all this territory we need to fight that back through all these prayer mantras etc and the truth view of spiritual warfare is that uh, spiritual warfare is primarily a battle of truth when we share the gospel with somebody, we are taking down their ideologies, the strongholds of their mind, the anti-God philosophies and ideas of the age, which 
keep men bound up in their mental fortresses. And this is Second Corinthians 10, 3-5, where Paul describes that approach to the, using the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of these strongholds, these mental fortresses that people have held themselves up in. So ultimately, I, I say that spiritual warfare is a battle for the truth. We are, we are not seeking to gain territory. We are seeking to push back uh, paganism and falsehood and lies and the lies of the devil um, by proclaiming the truth, preaching the truth, and um, advancing the truth in every way that we can. So in the book, I, I deal with, uh, in the middle part of the section, I deal with some of those common practices. Is, is binding Satan biblical? Are we supposed to cast out demons or perform exorcisms? Are we commissioned to rebuke the devil? And should we be doing that? Uh, should we be canceling generational curses? What does it mean in Exodus, when God says, I will visit the iniquity on the, fa- on the children, um, to the third and fourth generations of the fathers that hate me. Um, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a detailed uh, explanation of what true biblical spiritual warfare is. Yeah. And, and the thing that gets me, when I first became a Christian, I, I got saved. I went back home, scared to let my parents know being in a Jewish home. I didn't tell anyone for two years. I, I eventually went to, to college where I met Christians that were in the charismatic movement. I got involved in that. And that's the first where I heard about spiritual warfare. And you hear about this in, in the charismatic circles, in the prosperity gospel. It's very prevalent. And it, it is this thing where I remember in college, people spent all night prayer meetings, people binding Satan and chaining him up and throwing him down and stomping on his head and all this. I mean, you got to ask the question, <laughs> all this, who's letting him out? <laughs> right. Who's, un, who's unbinding him? Yeah. I mean, you're binding them and tying them up and locking them and throwing them in. A, literally, this, this would be the prayers. I mean, you bind them and you tie them and you, you chain them up and you throw them into a, a, a chest and you lock the chest and you throw it at the bottom of the sea and you stomp on his head and you're doing all this. I mean, all night they would, they would be talking like that. And it's like, how's he getting out the next day? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and who's letting must, him out? He must be pretty strong. I mean, either as that as or we're if, pretty uh, As if there are handcuffs, as if there are handcuffs and ropes in the armor of God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, this, but this is, I think, I have saw when I came out of the charismatic movement that this is a distraction. This talk of spiritual warfare to me seemed like a huge distraction because we would spend hours and hours and hours in prayer binding Satan, stepping on his head, doing all this stuff. And I come to realize, like, we're not doing any of that. First off, I mean, we're we're not in that position where we could do that. Scripture doesn't give us that authority. God has that authority. And I realized, like, what a waste. I mean, if you want to say who this is a benefit to Satan, that you we would spend hours and hours of wasted time, because that's really yeah, what it he, is. He, he, it's to his advantage to keep us misguided as to what real spiritual warfare is, because then we're not waging it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what is real, true spiritual warfare? You mentioned the armor of God. How should we be engaged with, in it? What should we look for to avoid when people talk about spiritual warfare? The way that we should be involved in it is, is simply proclaiming and resting in the truth. Uh, that is what God has called us to do. So real, real biblical spiritual warfare is not claiming territory and casting down Satan a real spiritual warfare is proclaiming the truth of the gospel. So uh, pastors are involved in spiritual warfare when they stand up and exegete scripture on a Sunday morning and explain the text of scripture and confront the spirit of our age and the ungodly philosophies of our age. 
you're involved in spiritual warfare when you evangelize on the street, when you share uh, the share and witness a gospel tract to somebody, when you uh, uh, answer somebody's questions involved in uh, in uh, Christian apologetics. You, you're we're doing spiritual warfare when we're recording this podcast. When you dis- disguise or describe uh, uh, logical fallacies and and uh, do your podcast on the marks of a cult, and you're informing and equipping people. That's spiritual warfare. It's advancing the truth and proclaiming the truth and resting in the truth. That's 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 what we should be involved in. And if we're spending our time binding Satan and we're not out uh, passing out gospel tracts or evangelizing, then, then we are missing the boat. We are we are actually completely involved in something that's not spiritual warfare when we think that we are. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are referring to the daily rap reports that you haven't listened to. <laughs> no, I, hey, I listened to them. I told you beforehand I listened to them. <laughs> Your your logical fallacies, the the marks of the cult that you're doing this week. I've listened to every rap report that you have put out since you started putting them out. You're just behind. <laughs> I'm behind. I'm a couple weeks behind. How many of my books have you read? I, I, hey, I read the the well, listen, intro. I read the back cover. I read the the the. I mean, if you expect me to read more than the table of contents, I mean, come on. The the I mean. I've read better. I mean, I've read the the Left Behind. It's it's right next to that in my my bookcase. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you'll enjoy my books once you read them. <laughs> well, look, I read the forward by Justin Peters. Does that count? I mean, that's that's the only no, that's, that's part. No, that that's good. I, hey, who did, and, you and know, to your credit? To your credit, I give you a compliment. I have never had a more ill-equipped host to uh, to do an interview with. So this has been great. <laughs> Hey, no, seriously. I mean, the best part of these books is, uh, you know, I, I love whoever did the photoshopping of your picture because they, they actually made you look good. I mean, I've seen oh, you. I appreciate person. that. <laughs> yeah, well, it took some skill. <laughs> A lot of it. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so, so you know, you actually came on, you know, I, we, we, we were um, having a discussion in the Christian podcast community. That's how this, this, hang, this uh, podcast came about, right? This interview. Sure. And yeah. uh, so, so someone said, you wouldn't hey, have had me on if I hadn't called you out. Yeah. Well, you, you said, how about tomorrow night? Or you said you had a commitment tomorrow night. I invited you on. You said you had a commitment. You said you wanted to come in anytime. Oh, no, no. I said anytime <clears throat> I can be of service, I would do it. Yeah. Any, anytime. Yeah. Okay. Anytime. Commit anytime. A, no, anytime I can be of service, I would do it. So that's, uh, you know, that's don't commit another logical fallacy here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I think I think you are. You are. So I, I said uh, I actually noticed a, a trend in the Christian podcast community that people were talking about who could be a guest, and everyone was busting that they could they would be able to be uh, they'd be happy to go on to anyone else's program and and basically talk about how crazy I am. <laughs> so I said I, I noticed the trend, and you said I'd be happy to come on your program and talk about how crazy you are. So. <laughs> You haven't done that yet. <laughs> well, listen, at Shepherd's Conference, I don't think I have a single picture from Shepherd's Conference that's legit without you photobombing it in the back. Or, well, now, or wrestling Justin Peters at some point and assaulting yeah, him. Some, I have that on video evidence. Some bodyguard you are. You, you're sitting there as a bodyguard for Justin Peters, and I was able to literally walk up to some stranger, hand him my phone, and ask if he could take a picture of me 
without Justin realizing who is behind him as he's sitting in his scooter. And you're busy talking to the usher or the guy that was next to you having a grand old conversation as I'm choking Justin out unconscious. And you're just sitting there. I was being distracted. I was being distracted as I was dealing with other threats. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, Justin and I were, Justin actually threatened me for the record. He threatened me to beat me up, that he was going to fight me because I wanted to give him, well, he wanted to give me his DVDs and I wanted to pay for them. And he didn't want me to pay for them. He wanted it to be a gift. And I wanted my $20 to be a gift for his DVD. And he said he'd beat me up to give it to me. <laughs> and you were supposed to be protecting him against me. And, and you did a bad job. You, you, you didn't protect him at all. I was able to get my arms around his neck, under his chin. And if I wanted to, he would have gone unconscious. And you were sitting and having a conversation. What kind of bodyguard are you? Well, I assessed the threats, and I noticed physically you didn't pose much of a threat to him, so I just <laughs> went on to other ones. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that online battle that Justin and I had <laughs> of talking about beating each other up um, led to something else. And it led to something that, that you approved of. You, you, I called you and asked for permission. Um, yeah. As his pastor, I wanted to make sure I could get permission. You approved of a hashtag Justin I Win campaign where we encouraged everyone to go out to justinpeters.org, donate to Justin Peters, and you could do this right now. You could do it today. Go to justinpeters.org, go to the donate section, donate there, and in the comments, just put hashtag Justin I Win. And what that is going to do is let Justin know that we care about him and that he lost his fight with me, that he, he, he didn't want to accept my $20 gift to the ministry. And so I'm pleading for all of you out there to help me bless Justin Peters. And the way you could do it is by donating to justinpeters.org, put hashtag Justin I win so he knows that he's being that the donation is coming in because he was just refusing a gift from me and you could bless him since he didn't want to accept my gift. So I'm calling on all of my listeners, please go to justinpeters.org, donate to him. Any amount will do and put hashtag Justin. I win. If you really want to get him, tag him on Twitter and say, I just donated to justinpeters.org, hashtag Justin, I win, so that others know to go do the same. Just saying. And, and you did that as well, as I did, correct? I did, yep. Yeah, I went to the website and gave and, and hashtagged it and posted it on Twitter, just so and people he, could know. And, and, you know, this, it, it really, it sounds like what we're trying to do is bless Justin, but really what we're trying to do is just pump up your ego that you want another battle. That's exactly right. Just so we're clear. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. I, I want, I need my ego boosted. I need to know that I have bragging rights. He, he, he has said privately that he has conceded, but I haven't seen it public. I haven't seen a public no. concede. Therefore it, it's still on. It's still on. The, the battle Royal is still going and we need to keep donating to justinpeters.org with hashtag Justin, I win and tag it on him on Twitter. So that he knows until he concedes publicly, I, I think this battle's still on. Don't you agree? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think there's no better way to show Justin some love than to um, help you beat up on a poor crippled boy, to beat a, <laughs> a, a poor crippled guy. <laughs> that, I think, should just boost, should, not only should boost your ego, but make you feel just so good about what you have done. And at the same time, he gets some money, and he's reminded of his, of his, um, 
of his physical handicap. So, I mean, we're just hitting <laughs> so many birds with one stone with this. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, for, for folks who don't know, Justin Peters has cerebral palsy uh, and walks with crutches or uses a scooter. So, so, yeah, me beating him up would look pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let us get to a game that you will get to play on me. It's time now to start the spiritual transition game. All right. So, Pastor Jim, I am going to ask you to give me something, whatever you like to give me, and I am going to have to take whatever you give me and transition it to the gospel. Now, we play this game because the more we play it, the more we see that we can take everyday experiences, any conversation that we have in with anyone and not pray, Lord, please give me an opportunity to talk to this person about the gospel. No, we can make a gospel conversation out of any conversation if we practice transitioning from the natural to the spiritual. So, Pastor Jim, what devilish thing are you going to give me? <laughs> I don't trust you at all. You know, I, <laughs> I, I know how to play this game because I listen to your podcast. <laughs> Okay, so here, uh, on the way home today, on my way home to do this interview, I got stopped by a train. No, 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 we heard, we heard that train earlier in this interview. Yeah, but that was, it was a different train. It was an earlier train. So I, Are you I, I like on the word train? train? Yeah, train. <laughs> if, you can, if you can turn train into a gospel presentation. Well, you're go. equivocating on the word train, I think. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not equivocating. I mean, Look, train like a physical train, a train like railroad a track, train, a train, a, a, train a train that takes you from point A to point B, that uh, kind of train. Yeah, or yeah, a model like that, train. or a train that you ride, a train that you ride. Oh, I don't ride on a model train. So you mean a train uh, that I ride? A train that stops you. A train, a train that stops you on get, the tracks. So you you were stopped because the train was taking some people from point A to point B. But no, it was taking cargo. I was oh, stopped see. because the train was in my way. I couldn't get home on time. So made, it, a train can make me late for things. Well, if you decide, I'm giving you like 15 different things that you well, could turn into. I mean, go you, for it. Hold up, but if you ignored that train, say you believed that that train wasn't there, and you believe that your belief would make it true, and you ignored that train, and you decided to just go right through, the the gates are down, and you decide you just go around them and go over those railroad tracks. What exactly would have happened to you? I would have been. I would have been killed. You would have been or at least badly injured. Because your belief it wouldn't have made it true. I mean, the fact that you believed there actually was not a train didn't make that true that there was no train. That's true. So, so, so our belief doesn't make things true as our culture believes, does it? Uh, no. There, there is reality. Right. There is a reality. Yes. <clears throat> wow. You know, you know, one of the things of reality is that most people want to ignore because people plan for, they go to school, they plan for college, they plan for careers, they plan to get married, they plan to have kids, they plan retirement. And the one thing they don't plan is what happens after we die. And yet, just like the train, people want to believe that there is nothing after we die. And they think that because they believe it, it's true. And yet, every one of us knows we're going to die one day, 10 out of 10 people die. And every one of us knows that we try to suppress that truth in unrighteousness, we know we're going to be accountable to a holy, righteous God. And in that Though we suppress that and pretend, well, I believe it's not true. Our belief doesn't make it true. The reality is we will face a God and it's appointed unto man once to die and then a judgment. And that judgment is going to be based on whether we broke God's law. 
So uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think that you've kept God's law perfectly? And that's how I would get that into was a good, That was a good transition. I want a do-over. I want a mulligan. I got another one for you. Are you ready? <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> He's going for two. Okay. He was like, wait a minute. That one, for two. He did that one too easy. That, that, he did that one well. I, I got to stump him. So here we go. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm reading a book on the development of the rubber eraser in 12th century Scotland. Go. I don't believe that you're actually reading such a book. <laughs> what is the title of this said book? I want to write a book on the development of the rubber eraser in 12th century Scotland. Go. I do believe that you would probably come up with such a book after reading your other books. <laughs> well, once you read my other books, then you can let me know if that's a, a good assessment or not. So I, I, believe, I believe that this said book is as fictional as the belief in evolution. And the reason is, is because people want to believe things are real that really aren't real. And they do that because if they can av avoid the fact that God exists, which they know, everyone knows God exists, but they suppress that unrighteousness. If they could avoid that fact and pretend that they're not accountable to that God, they don't have to worry about their sin. They don't have to feel bad about it. And yet we're going to have to give an account for that to a holy, just God. And that, and that God not only going to hold us to account but that god came from heaven to earth to pay the price that you and i owe that what we have to do is turn from our sin and turn to jesus christ that's well done <laughs> i don't think it has anything to do with development of rubber erasers in 12th century scotland no i dealt with a fictional book that you're <laughs> referring to <laughs> you know andrew one thing that would be good maybe uh someday for a series of your daily podcasts would be to uh, develop a, a set of, of steps that you use in making that transition because I hear you do it. And then I wonder to myself, I mean, I know I could do the same thing as well. I could, I could, I could begin to trace in my mind down rabbit trails of what this subject will take me or similarities of this subject to some spiritual thing. Uh, it would be good to hear what goes on in your mind as you're trying to make that transition. What do you look for in the subject matters that come up that give you a, a, a cue into to a gospel a segue? Well, first off, the inside of my mind is a scary place that no one wants to be. Um, okay, I can buy that. <laughs> but you know what? It, it Really, it's practice. It, it, it's a thing of, I, I don't know what my thought process is, to be honest. I, I, you hit the nail on the head when you said that I try to go different, down different paths until I figure out what it is I want to say. And a lot yeah, of Sometimes it is, I can hear you do that. Yeah, like uh, you, you were doing the one with the guy from the BAR podcast, and he brought up the Final Four or the basketball championship or something like that. And I could hear you kind of talking about basketball and sort of, sort of, you know, going down some different avenues of connecting some dots until you finally found one that you you chased. Exactly. And uh, it, not every not, not every time, not every not every word in a conversation is going to give you an immediate segue. Sometimes you have to take that topic and run with it towards something spiritual before you can make that segue. Yeah, like you I mean, didn't actually, for instance, in this example, you didn't actually talk about uh, the development of rubber erasers in 12th century Scotland. You immediately took that into a fictional book and then said, you know what else is fictional? Evolution is fictional. Yeah. I mean, there's sometimes where I can see it a clear, easy way of going. There's sometimes where I'm going to rely on something I, I already did. Um, the, the eraser one is really because I dealt with that on a different thing where someone once asked me to do something, <clears throat> they gave me a fictional story and I did the same exact thing. And yeah. if someone gives me, you know, and I've done that in, in the public square 
where someone gave me this whole thing. Well, what about this? And gives me this whole thing. And I just address it the same way. That's fictional. And I, because when I go and evangelize now, I can reuse some of these things. If I can remember them, that's a totally different issue. So the, the issue though, is the more we practice, the more we end up seeing repetitive things that we can pick up on. And you're right. There are times where in a conversation, I'm, I'm in my mind, I am always going down to say, okay, how do I get this to the gospel? How do I get this to the gospel? And I may have dialogue with someone, but I have a goal of always getting it to the gospel. So I'm looking for different ways that I can transition. And I, I've had times in real conversations with people where I go down one road and all of a sudden they back it up and they go a different way. And now I got to take it a different way. But I may try two or three attempts till I could get into a gospel conversation. But you know what's happening while I'm having that conversation with the person? I'm showing an interest in them. I'm talking with them. I'm listening to them. Yes, I want to move the conversation in a specific way, but I'm still dialoguing with them about that and building that relationship, even if it's only for a few minutes, so that I can get to the gospel in some way or mm -hmm. form. Yeah. Yeah, well done. All right. Well, we thank you for coming on. Any any words of wisdom? Well, wait, what am I thinking? I already know you. You don't have any words of wisdom. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I can offer some uh, something else, though. <laughs> I, would, I would just say if, if anybody is, is going to buy any of the three books that I've written, I would be honored and, and thankful for that. You can get them on Amazon.com and print and in Kindle. And uh, just so that everyone knows, I don't make any money off of the books that we sell. Uh, all of the money goes to the building fund for the Kootenai Community Church. And that building fund is to finish our new facility and get us in. And we're hoping to have occupancy sometime by the middle of this year so that uh, we can have you up in this fall. And so by the time this podcast drops, we'll make a final and public announcement of the dates that you're going to be available and up here in the Kootenai area. And uh, you will be one of, you will be our first seminar, uh, our first weekend seminar that we're going to have um, in our new facility. It'll be christened by Andrew Rappaport. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Well, I think we, we have those dates, don't we? Um, I'm trying to look them up. I thought it was it's October 12th to the yeah. 14th. Is that 12 it? To, 12th to 14th is what I have. It, yeah. That's it. So we're going to do, we're going to do a seminar the October 12th to the 14th. Well, 12th and 13th. And then I'll be preaching on the 14th at your church. That's 2018. And that's going to be in Sandpoint, Idaho. So if you're anywhere in that area, in other words, if you're in an area where you're allowed to legally carry a gun, um, unlike New Jersey, there, look, there's no resentment there. There's, it's, it, 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 I'm, I'm not jealous. I'm really, I'm not jealous. But no, I do it's, expect, and it's without I do a permit. To, I do expect a Glock when I get out of the airport. I'm just saying. I want to be carrying. I, I can but, do that. <laughs> but no, I'll be out there, you know, that, that second weekend in October, and the 12th to the 14th, if you're in that area, please, please go out and, and come and visit. I can't even pronounce the name of the town. Cooney? Kootenai. Kootenai. K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I. Kootenai. Kootenai. See, in Idaho, Kootenai, Idaho. weird names. You know? Yeah. But, but I'll be out there. And, and you're, I understand you're doing this. You're doing – now, folks, if you don't understand – Pastor Jim has a very different way of church growth. There's, there's people who do church growth through evangelism. There's people who do church growth through the means of, of trying to invite other believers in their church. 
Uh, Pastor Jim does church growth by inviting people like Justin Peters to come and do a seminar. And then he so loves the area and the pastor that he just moves there and becomes part of the church. And, and Pastor Jim has said openly that that's his goal with me. So uh, we'll, we'll see. If you suddenly hear I'm moving to Idaho, you know that Pastor Jim Osmond is the reason. <laughs> we're, we're just we're growing the church one celebrity at a time. That's what we do. That's our motto. That's our motto. <laughs> Oh, my wife, my wife is saying, are you kidding me? Somewhere warm, you said. Move warm. <laughs> no more snow. <laughs> there's, there's snow, but it's not cold snow. It's a, it's a dry snow. It's a, it's a warm snow. It's snow. <laughs> All right. So, so tell folks how they can get in touch with you and share with us any, any last minute things that you would have for folks. Uh, you can go to kootenaichurch.org, K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I, church.org. That's, that's our website. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. That's what everybody says, but it's true. And um, uh, let me see. Yeah, you can find the, the books if you're interested in any of those subjects on Amazon.com, uh, either in print or Kindle. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you to listening audience. I enjoy the Rap Report, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, and uh, I've enjoyed this program. Thanks. And I'll be selling my, my signed copies of these books on eBay. And No, kidding. <laughs> I don't even have an eBay account, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I mean, you and I love to joke around. Um, we've been a little bit more serious probably on this podcast than we've ever been in a conversation. <laughs> but, That's uh, true. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> if people only knew the, 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 the banter back and forth with you and I in private, that's great. But, uh, but seriously, I do appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you've done. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting up in, and being able to fellowship with you again up in Idaho. So Yeah, it, I'm looking forward to October as well. That's going to be great. Yeah, it really is a privilege having you on. And I do, I do strongly recommend, folks, look, the, these books – um, jo all joking aside, uh, are valuable. They're, there's, they're dealing with issues and topics that we need to address. And quite frankly, no one wants to address. Um, it, it, the, this is not the sort of thing that's going to get you on TBN to be interviewed. <laughs> it's going to get you here at the rap no. report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just a step down from TBN, but it's still good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't want to be associated in any way with TBN, but I do want to thank you for coming on and uh, appreciate your ministry and everything that you're doing and the friendship that you and I have. And I do hope that many folks will go out and, and get these books. They will, uh, uh, the, the book Truth or Territory, I think, is going to be one for a lot of people, especially those who are in the charismatic movement or leaning that way it is going to give some clarity for you. So please get that book and, and read it and uh, be praying yeah. for, for Jim. He does have a building project that they're trying to get in their own building. And so be praying for that. If you can help out in any way, Hey, he would appreciate it. Just saying. <laughs> Thank you. So with that, we want to encourage you guys to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. This is Jim. I'm not able to take your call, so if you'd like to leave a message, please press the pound key, then dial your name, then press pound and dial your number, then press star 612-955.
then wait for the beep, ask for extension 398712B, wait for the second beep, hit the pound key, and then leave your name and number. Or you could just leave a message after this beep. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.